I mean, especially if this is your first time, we hope that you find this is a uh, safe place to examine the truth claims of Scripture, no matter what you believe, and, uh, and look into it. We are going through the book of Acts this semester, and we are investigating what the author of the book of, of Acts, who is Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, claims, that he claims Acts is a faithful account of what Jesus continues to do and teach because he's alive and risen. And he continues to do and teach by the Holy Spirit through this weak-looking thing called the church. And so, try this on before we read Acts 3. If Acts is the record of what Jesus continues to do and teach because he's alive, even though he's ascended into heaven, what would you expect that to look like in the church? Well, think back, if you're familiar with your Bible, of what Jesus did when he was on this earth. What did he do? He would teach. He would do miracles that would heal people, that would restore things. And then he would be opposed and persecuted by the religious leaders or government leaders of the day. Well, here in Acts 3 is the apostles, the representatives of Jesus on this earth. And what are they going to do? They're going to heal someone. They're going to teach. And then the next chapter, they're going to be opposed and persecuted by the religious leaders of the day. Luke is saying, Jesus is alive, he's at work, it's just through his church by the Spirit. Let me, uh, let me pray. Father, you claim in chapter 3 uh, that we're about to read that there is healing in the name of Jesus. So we pray that if we're tired tonight, uh, if we are uh, sinful, if we are lonely, if we are depressed, that we would uh, believe on Jesus uh, and see the time of restoration, that you are good. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Here's Acts 3, starting verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, And said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. 
But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Spirit appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from his wicked from your wickedness. The grass withers, the flowers fade. Word of our God, it stands forever. Alright, so what do we do with this? What do we do with this miracle? Two things. Miracles are an x-ray and miracles are a preview. That's the paradigm that I want you to think about why Jesus does his miracles, why the apostles who are his representatives do their miracles in this, in this unique time of history. This is what miracles are about. First, they are a preview. Miracles are not random displays of power to draw attention. They do draw attention. But there's something deeper going on. Think about an x-ray, right? If your arm was hurting, they, they, you bring it to the doctor and they put it under an x-ray. And what does the x-ray show? The x-ray reveals what's underneath that you could not see. And it shows the cause of the pain. It shows that your bone was broken. But you couldn't see it without the x-ray. And so an x-ray shows you what normally you cannot see. Well, Peter and John, these apostles of Jesus, they're coming into the temple uh, to pray. They're probably going to teach. And here's a man, verse 2, crippled from birth, helpless. He's so helpless that he has to be carried everywhere that he goes. He's sitting at this gate begging for money. And for basically 40 years of this man's existence, this is his reality. Helpless, weak, dependent, hopeless. He has to be hopeless. Right? After some amount of time, some amount of seeing physicians, some amount of praying, fill in the blank, by 40 years you have to know there's no way I'm getting better. Right? And here he is. That's the condition of the man that's about to be miraculously healed. So what's the point? Well, bring in the x-ray. If the miracle is going to reveal what we otherwise wouldn't see, this crippled man, this crippled man's outward condition is helping us see something about his inner reality and all of our inner reality that we otherwise might miss. That inside this man was spiritually crippled. And inside you and I, according to the Bible, are spiritually crippled. If you read the Bible's description of who humanity is, it's bleak. That all of us have turned from the Lord, who is, as as this says later, the author of life. So life is being reconciled to God. Life is living before Him, knowing you're accepted. And when Adam and Eve turn from Him, everything breaks. And our hope of getting back on good terms with God, so that He'll like me and accept me, by my own efforts, by my own merit are as hopeless and helpless as this man thinking he can walk by his own power. 
That's what this is saying. And so if you're familiar with your Bible, it's okay if you're not, but if you are, think through the miracles of Jesus and the apostles. You find blind people that see, deaf people that hear, lepers whose uh, skin is made clean, dead people come to life again. Why? All those are x-rays to the unseen spiritual condition of our hearts. Because we are blind to the truth. We are deaf to the good news of the gospel. We are covered in this disease called sin. And we are rendered dead before God because of our sin. And so Peter's sermon, what he ends up preaching is he connects that man's physical condition with with the reality of all of our unseen condition, right? That's why he looks at him and says, you have killed the author of life. All of us are spiritually crippled. And so this physical miracle, and this is what they all are, is a picture of the medical, metaphysical unseen reality of who we are. So Liza has a friend, actually a friend of a friend, whose name's Catherine Wolf. You can actually read her story online. She was uh, 26, living in California, had an infant of uh, a six months, home on seemingly a normal day. Her, uh, her six-month-old was, uh, was napping when all of a sudden... Her legs and her arms and her face go numb. And she drops to the floor with a brainstem stroke. Her husband happens to come home, actually, and he usually doesn't, finds her, rushes her to the hospital. I mean, you go on and on about the story, but after nine surgeries, I believe four years later, she still experiences, it's amazing she's alive, but she still experiences double vision, partial facial paralysis, uh, she doesn't have uh, great use of her right arm, and she has partial deafness. And she's a Christian. And I, I, I heard her at this, at speaking at this conference not too long ago, and I'll never forget it, because here's what she said. She said, you know, people look at me, and it's pretty obvious, right? My, my face is paralyzed, her speech is slurred. Uh, many times she's in a wheelchair. A lot of times she walks with a cane. And she said, here's the deal. When people look at me, And they see me as a mom with a kid trying to be a mom. They always come in and they try to help me out. Because they look at me and they realize I can't handle being a mom. Like I can't do what's required of me. It's obvious by looking at me. But then she said this. I'll never forget this. She said what I found is that what's obvious because of me on the outside is actually true of every mom in this world that you do not have the resources to actually be a mom. That every mom is struggling. That every mom, is, it feels like they're drowning. Because every mom is a sinner trying to raise a, a sinful kid. The only difference is the outside hides what is true of all of us. And I really, I want some of you just to remember that. Because some of you, years from now, are going to be a mom. All right? And the mommy blogs are a lie. Okay? All these mommy blogs that go up there that shows how every house is clean, how every day is a joy, and how everything is easy, they are freaking lies. And they are killing moms out there. Okay? Because that's not true. That's not true. If if you become a mommy blogger, 
Do not say that you went to RUF. I don't want to know you. I don't want to be identified with you. It is, it is true spiritual oppression. I'm telling you. I'm defending my wife here. This is a big moment. This is, but it is hiding what is true. That all of us are struggling. You can't do it. You can't parent alone. You're not, you're not supposed to. It's a broken and sinful world. And the problem is our outside tricks us. And the thing that will blind you from your need of Jesus for the first time, or even if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, it's all the stuff that you have going for you. That's what makes you forget that your condition is like this, the spiritual beggar. I, like, I want us to put out blogs that have our kids like screaming at each other. Liza won't let me. And our house a wreck. Because that, that's the real us. And that's what it looks like. But what happens? This man then, he asks for money. And it's very interesting. All he's looking for is a little help. But instead, what he gets is this completely new life. Better than what he expected. Peter says, I don't have silver and gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. And he tells him, by the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he, and he holds out his hand and his, his ankles and feet strengthen. And he immediately, he doesn't wobble. He immediately walks with strength and starts leaping with joy and praising God. So what's going on? Again, apply the x-ray. You're physically seeing what is what has truly happened on the inside that you can't see. That he has been healed on the inside. That his sins have been forgiven. And that's what he begin, that's what he begins to explain to everybody in the sermon that that if you repent, if you turn to Jesus, your sins will be blotted out. He says, this man trusted in Jesus' name and he's physically healed, but that is showing that if you trust in Jesus, your spiritual condition of sin will be healed. Man, I want you to see the hope in this. Because how can I be restored to real life? Having, how can I have all my sin and all my shame cleansed and be given a completely new life? It's just this. You just trust. And you know what trusting looks like? Being a helpless beggar. That's what trusting in Jesus' name looks like. Because when we x-ray our spiritual condition, we are crippled sinners. And so the question the Bible asks is not, are you sinful and broken? Am I? The question it is, is this, will you see it? Will you recognize that before God, you and I are helpless and hopeless? There's no amount of exercise. There's no amount of getting people to like you. There's no amount of achieving what you hope in life. No amount of RUF attendance, fill in the blank, that will heal what is actually inside of you, which is our sin. But see, instead of that leading you to despair, what Peter is showing us is that because of Jesus, the way to be healed is to acknowledge your helplessness. This is so upside down. If you will take on the posture of a beggar, you will meet the Lord of glory. And He'll give you more than you, than you ever expected. You can come to Him just wanting to be saved from hell. You can come to Him just wanting to heal you of your loneliness. And you will find He gives you so much more. He forgives and takes away shame and gives you a new life. Because it's only when you see you're a paralytic that you finally are ready to meet the God of grace. Because that's who He is. And that's my plea tonight. Do not run from your helplessness. Embrace it. 
I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for as long as you can remember. Embrace it, embrace it again. And you'll see the joy. Some of you in this room, you've been abused and you don't think Jesus cares about you because of what's been done to you. I hear that. And that makes you feel helpless. Take that to Jesus and you'll find that He loves you and He cares for you. It is your helplessness that qualifies you for Jesus' love. That's who He is because it's free. Silver and gold I do not have, but I'll give you what I do have. And see, here's where I think a lot of us, if you're a Christian, we go awry. We think that once I become a Christian, now I don't have to have faith in Jesus' name. Now I have faith in myself, in my own performance, in my own self-sufficiency. And so instead of being a beggar as a Christian, we become self-righteous. We become self-sufficient. Instead of being honest with who I am before other people, I start... start Posting the mommy blogs, right? See, I'm going to kill them tonight. Um, and for many of you, I'm telling you, the joy seems, of Jesus seems so foreign to you. And it's not because Jesus has quit loving you. It's because it's been a long time since you recognized who you really are. And the reason for that is because you probably haven't been weak with other people, which is Jesus' body. You probably need to learn how to confess your sin and weakness to others. And there you'll find Jesus shows up. So first, miracles are this this x-ray that reveal now to the seen eye what is true inside that other people can't see. That we are dead and cripples, but Jesus makes us alive. Second of all, miracles are this preview. When you put this miracle or any miracle in the context of the whole Bible, I I think you realize something really awesome about miracles. That they are, that's why I describe it, they are, they're movie trailers. They're previews. Okay? For the day when King Jesus finally returns and restores everything. So think about how a movie preview works, right? This week, uh, the full-length Beauty and the Beast trailer came out. And it is freaking awesome. Okay? So when you watch it, think about what you... It's not the real thing... But you get this small 2 minute 37 second uh, picture where you, where you see the characters, you get a bit of the action, you see the scenery, you get chills, you cry a little bit. Why? Because, because you taste it. You know what's coming. But it's not the complete thing. Instead it says coming March 17th. That's the date it's going to arrive. And see... The story of the Bible and of this world is that the Lord created everything good. Genesis 1 and 2. But when Adam and Eve, when they sinned and they turned from God, the altar of life, the sustainer of life, everything broke. Which means not only am I spiritually broken and sinful and have rebelled against God, but we are physically and mentally and emotionally broken. There's illness. There's death. There's chronic pain. There's depression. There's gender confusion. There's all kinds of things. Of course, because this world is messed up. And then, and then you have things like tornadoes and weeds and decay because sin has separated us from God and everything that's broken in this world, God has graciously allowed that to happen to point us to God, to back to God to remind us that things aren't the way they should be. And so all over the Bible, though, after sin breaks uh, this world, God starts making promises. 
that one day I'm going to send a Messiah who will restore everything. Every disease, every cancer cell, every, I will replace depression with joy. I'll heal everything until everyone, all my people, are, have their sins forgiven and everything whole again. This is what Ethan read in Isaiah 35. It is a prophecy about the Messiah who's going to restore all things. And here's what it says. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then listen to this. The lame man will leap like a deer and sing for joy. And now, everybody just saw a lame man leap for joy and begin singing. Why? Because the preview is here. The king has come. And his kingdom has begun to heal this world. And this miracle is a visible promise that one day, someday, when Jesus returns, it is all going to be restored. All of it. That's what Peter ends up saying in verse 20 and 21, right? That he may send the Christ whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things. So this really is beautiful if you'll see it. Because most of us see miracles in one of two ways. You either think of them as just kind of silly stories that there's no way we could believe in that because I've never seen that. Or bizarre intrusions from God, these bizarre abnormal intrusions into the normal world. That these violate the laws of nature. But, if you hear what I'm saying, both those explanations of miracles are actually wrong. If miracles are a preview of the complete restoration of this world and of you, a complete restoration of the way things are supposed to be, that means this, the world that we live in is abnormal. And miracles are an insertion of normalcy. That he interrupts the abnormal to bring the day that's to come into the now and give us what life is supposed to be like. Far from silly stories or even abnormalities, miracles are promises that I'm going to restore everything. That Jesus' kingdom is here. Okay, then why is there still disease? Why is there still you know, blindness? Why am I still struggling with sin? Because the Bible talks about God's kingdom as being here already, but not yet fully consummated. It's here, but it's not here in its fullness. It's just the preview. And so, God's kingdom in a relationship with Jesus right now, it works kind of like an engagement, right? Last week, Daniel Eads asked Elizabeth Cole to marry him. We're all excited about that. And here's what happens when you get engaged. Everything kind of changes. You realize, finally, finally, like, I'm going to marry him. You know, I'm going to marry Liza. Remember this? Uh, you know, things have changed. There's now this real promise. You start, like, the day that you get engaged, it feels like stuff changes. It really does. You you call all your friends. And then what happens that night is Daniel actually had to drive Elizabeth home, drop her off, and drove back to his house lonely. You're like, man, things have changed, but I'm still driving home alone. And you're waiting for that day when when it is finally here. That's what the miracles and acts are saying. Jesus is saying, this world is mine, and I'm reclaiming it. I promise and so look, a couple ways we could go with this as we, as we start kind of landing the plane. Maybe this is obvious, but this first miracle in Acts shows us that the world that we live in is not the way that things are supposed to be. And I say that because if you're investigating the Bible tonight, 
I, I can't scientifically prove to you that this world isn't the way that things are supposed to be. I can't. But I'd actually push and say, is that really the only way that you can know things? Because I think deep down, I, I, I think I know this is true of you, that when pain and sickness enters your body, when sadness overwhelms you, when you see a loved one in a casket as a corpse, when you see someone go down with serious mental illness, that awkwardness you feel, that frustration, that anger sometimes, look, don't ignore it. What if that is the truth that is written deep within you that you haven't acknowledged that is saying, this is not the way that things are supposed to be? And you know it. It's a memory trace from creation that you know this isn't the way things are supposed to be. But secondly, even if you've been trusting Jesus for a long time, let the miracles bring you back to reality. This world really is broken. It is messed up. And I think most of us, if you're like me, when we begin to imagine what our week is going to look like, we imagine it in an unbroken world and without sin. And we just think, I'm going to go through this week without frustration, without disappointing people, without being lonely, without sickness. And we end up being shocked that we're in a broken world. But we are. I'm not saying be be cynical, but I'm saying experiences of how things are wrong in this world, let let it create sadness. Let it create a groaning in you that longs for Jesus to come back and restore it all. Let it remind you that this world as it is, it's not your home. You're supposed to, not, you're supposed to always feel a little bit not in place here. Because your home is a restored new heavens and new earth. But thirdly, I hope it brings real hope. Because we're living in this present world. And see, we're about to enter the portion of Acts where suffering and persecution comes to Christians. How in the world does this miracle bring them hope? Well, Johnny Erickson taught, if you know her, she's a somewhat famous Christian who, uh, when she was 17, an accident became a quadriplegic. And when she was still depressed, trying to come to terms with the fact that she would never walk again and all kinds of things, she said she would go to church in her wheelchair. But the problem was when she was at this church in her wheelchair, that she found at a certain point... Uh, in the liturgy, the priest would call for everyone to kneel, which always drove her crazy because she couldn't kneel. She couldn't get out of her wheelchair. And so she said, with everybody kneeling, I always stood out and I could never quit crying. And it wasn't because of self-pity. I was crying because the sight of hundreds of people, here you go, on their knees was so beautiful. And then I began weeping at this thought. That is a picture of heaven. Of the new heavens and new earth. That sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven I will finally be free to jump, dance, kick, and do aerobics. And some and sometime before the guests are called to the banquet of the table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. And she adds this: I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and and no feeling from the shoulders down will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives someone with a spinal cord injury like me? 
And that's it. A present living testament of the hope of the restoration of all things enables her to live in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And this can bring you real hope. No matter what is broken in your life, how do you deal with the fact that your life feels like a bunch of broken relationships with friends, with maybe former boyfriends, with your parents? It's only going to be in this, that things aren't always going to be this way. That one day all relationships are going to be healed. What about chronic pain? What about if what about depression follows you the rest of your life? You can actually live faithfully and trust Jesus in the present because one day, someday, it's all going to be healed. And for some reason, it hasn't been removed today, but it can't be because He's quit loving me. It enables you to live. And so here's what Acts 3 holds out for us tonight. It's telling us this. Our biggest problem, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what circumstances, is our sin, not our physical suffering. And the Bible says that not because it doesn't take our suffering seriously. It takes it deadly seriously. But it says we always need to know that our biggest problem is that which is within, which is our sin. That's the thing that separates us from God. But then the miracle says this. Look, I promise you, one day, Jesus who is in heaven right now will return. And when He returns, every bit of evil... Every bit of sin, every bit of sickness, everything that is broken in this world will be wiped away forever. I said, that begs the question, why? Like, why doesn't he do it now? Why this long wait of 2,000 years of history where, sure, he, he renews us spiritually and saves us spiritually, but there's still so much brokenness in this world. What is Jesus waiting on? Second Peter's your answer. 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. According to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Did you hear it? Here's the reason that there's still disease, there's still sin, there's still loneliness, there's still depression. It's because Jesus is good and gracious. And you say, what? That doesn't make any sense. If I had the power to take away things that were hurting my children, I would do it. Why doesn't He? Because He loves us. Because here's the deal. If He was to come back right now and get rid of every bit of sin and every bit of suffering and every bit of evil, if miracles are an x-ray as well as a preview, what the miracle always shows is that I'm evil. I'm part of the problem. I'm what's breaking this world. And if King Jesus returns and gets rid of all sin and everything that breaks His world, He gets rid of us. There's no people left. And so Jesus is patient. And He's calling us to repent. Because when you turn from your spiritual condition and receive Jesus, you're cleansed. And so the only way that you can live in this broken world and look forward to the future of when Jesus comes as judge is to believe in the miracle of all miracles. That the Lord Himself took on a body. That the Infinite One made Himself finite. That the One who was immune to all pain and brokenness 
came and took on pain and brokenness. The one who you cannot kill, the author of life, made himself killable and goes to a cross and dies. Why does he die? He's the only human that ever lived. If you put the x-ray on him, he is pure on the inside. Yet on the outside, he is dying as a broken sinner. Why? Because Jesus came the first time not to judge, but to save. And if you will turn and you will repent as a weak, helpless paralytic, He will take your place. He gets wiped out so that you and I can be clean. And so now that you're in Him, and when Jesus returns to wipe away all evil and restore everything, all those who are in Jesus are a new creation and clean in His sight and you remain with Him. And that's the ending invitation. Repent. If you find yourself wanting Jesus tonight, here's the deal. You're alive. Turn to Him. And I don't know, do miracles happen still today? I'll tell you this, if you repent, that's a miracle. Because inwardly something has happened that other people do not see, but you have come alive. And there's a promise that one day you'll be fully healed. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to live the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. Or there are plenty of times that uh, we walk through life and I don't understand why you don't heal things faster. I don't understand um, why things are so hard. But I know this, we serve a God who entered into this world and walked with us and experienced rejection, experienced pain, and experienced uh, violence. And so would that bring us hope that one day, someday, you're going to heal it all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.